So there are two readings this morning. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which is found on page 1 of the Blue Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 to 17, and that can be found on page 1160 in the Blue Bibles. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Here ends the reading. Now, you'll find a sermon outline uh, in the notes that you would have received at the door. That's going to be a helpful thing, not only to jot a few things down, but some of the longer quotes I've also given you there um, in, uh, in detail. So anyway, why don't I pray, and then we'll get into our sermon. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know you truly in it. Father, we thank you for the way that you speak to us. And Father, we do ask this morning as we look at the whole question of purpose and where it might be found, that you would guide us in that. Give us attentive hearts and minds. Give me clear words. And uh, Father, we pray that we go out uh, encouraged and strengthened uh, to live for you each day. Amen. The meaning of life. Ever pondered it? Here's the answer in case you're wondering. 42, it is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything, as posited by uh, Douglas Adams in his series, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The only problem is, by the time they worked out the answer, they'd actually forgotten the question. Uh, And so 42 is the answer. Don't know what the question was, so it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? But people do search for a meaning or a purpose in life. I guarantee that if I went around each of you individually this morning and asked, who here wants to live a purposeful life, a meaningful life, I guarantee you would pretty much all say, yes, that you did. You did, because without purpose, you lack value. So think about your life. How many times have you gone through the cupboard or the garage and thrown out all those random widgets that you have no purpose for whatsoever? 
And did you shed tears as you threw them in the bin? Not for a second. Who here collects broken white goods? You know, you've got a few fridges perhaps in the back, a couple of washing machines. They don't to do what they're meant to be doing, but you're just, you want them. You don't, do you? You praise the Lord that when the new one gets delivered, the old one gets taken away. No purpose, no value. Now we have to work out this morning, is there purpose? Where can we find purpose? And it's a question that's not just something that's occupied Christians, it's occupied the broader community as well. Now, back in last century was this very chic-looking guy. Uh, his name is, because uh, we're doing Australian this morning, thanks to Kez, we would pronounce his name Albert Camus. But if you're French, particularly uh, French-Algerian, his name would be Albert Camus. Uh, take your pick. Uh, this guy was a philosopher. He won the 1957 Nobel Prize for Literature. He is a heavy player. I thought no one would know, but then uh, know of him. But then I've actually encountered two people in the last two days that have actually read his work. And so this guy explored the whole question of where meaning was to be found. And he said, like we've said before, that life must have a meaning for us to value it. Now, it's not just random French Algerian philosophers that are saying this, because last year the ABC reported on what they called the golden triangle of well-being. Now, these guys were reporting on a study that had been done broadly across our society. And what are the three things that you need for well-being, for a good life? You need enough resources to take the stress out of day-to-day living. So you don't need loads of money, but you need to know where the, the next meal's coming from, okay? You need to have, number two, meaningful relationships. And I think we'd all recognise that, wouldn't we? We need to be connected to one another. And lastly, you need purpose. These three things, and particularly purpose, critical for this idea of well-being. And so it's not just a question that we at Trinity Hills are considering. It's a question that has importance for all of life and for every person. If life has no purpose, what value can it have? Mr. Camille, he said this. He said, deciding whether or not life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. The question of purpose is key for this guy. But our society has a problem with the whole question of purpose. Now, let me unpack this. Can I say I'm going to do uh, a lot of work very quickly So I'm really happy for you to come up afterwards and take me to task for my uh, shoddy cultural analysis, if that's what you think it is. Really happy to answer questions and to dig a bit more deeply in this. Because I think as we understand our culture, we understand ourselves, and then we actually see the predicament that we find ourselves in.
Because our society over the last 50 to 60 years, and for some time before that as well, but mainly in this last half of last century and this century, has gone through a massive shift. And two particular areas uh, really cause problems for the idea of purpose. The first one is that we have elevated the individual to be the source of all authority. So if you want to be technical, we call this autonomous individualism. There's your technical name for it. But all autonomous actually means is self-law. So you hear it in our slogans, no one can tell you how you should live. I just need to be me. This idea of being yourself. Uh, No one outside of you can actually tell you what is right and wrong. And so as our society has moved in this direction, we've actually rejected other forms of authority. Tradition has gone out the window. Religion is highly suspect. Family even. Family is dismissed. Community as a whole no longer has a right to tell the individual how they should live. So that's the first one. The second one is, at the same time, what we've actually seen is that either explicitly or implicitly, our society has adopted materialism as a worldview. Now, materialism is linked to ideas like evolution and Big Bang and all this kind of stuff that says that the material world is all there is. And the material world is the product of impersonal force and chance. And this is the view that is taught through our schools. It's taught through our schools as law. But these two things, this rise of the individual and the authority of that individual and this embrace of this idea that the world is just this material world and it's the product of impersonal forces and chance, that has massive implications. Massive implications for the idea of a purpose. Let me give you four. Number one is what it means is if you're going to have a purpose, you have to find your own purpose. In the past, people went to sources of authority outside of themselves. They went to tradition, they went to family, they went to religion, they went to all these other places to find out what their purpose was. Some of those purposes were good, some of them less good. I'm not saying that that old way was always the good way. But now we're in a situation where I'm in charge of me and so if I'm going to have a purpose, I need to find it and we're told increasingly we've got to find it inside ourselves and our emotions are what drive that. But do you see the incredible burden? If my life is going to have meaning and purpose and value, I need to find my purpose. An incredible burden. What's our second implication then? If our first is you've got to find it for yourself, the second implication is that every purpose is equal. 
Do you see that? Because I can't tell you what your purpose should be. And you can't tell me or each other what your purposes should be. So if someone sets their life purpose as curing cancer, that is the same value as someone who says, my life purpose is to become the world champion Tetris player. You know, the world's most meaningless computer game. There's no difference because you can't tell me that one is better than another because I decide what is good for me. And we get this kind of thing. You hear this language about what is right for you and often what feels right for you. And so for you to be authentic, maybe you need to cure cancer, solve world poverty, bring peace to the Middle East, conquer Tetris, collect seashells. They're all the same and they're all equally arbitrary. There is no system that you can appeal to to say that's a good purpose and that's a bad. For us parents, you can't tell your kids what they're going to do in the future. Well, you can try. Good luck. Let me know how it goes. But the world out there is saying they just have to find their purpose, their meaning, whatever that is. But our third implication, if I've got to find it and it's just my purpose, is that it starts with me and it ends with me. It's my individual choice and as I end, it ends. And sometimes it ends before we end because our capacity our capacity to pursue it ends. You might know the story of Joni Erickson, uh, who was a, I think she was an athlete, and she dived into a pool and all of a sudden she's a quadriplegic. Her whole life turned massively upside down. Sometimes circumstances outside of us come in and constrain us or disable us in that and we deal with that well what if that was my purpose but I can no longer do it but at the end death always wins my personal theory is that midlife crisis is when we wake up to the fact that we're never actually going to achieve those goals anyway and we go through this minor oh what's it all about that's midlife crisis for you, in a nutshell. I've solved the problem. Isn't that great? You know. Okay. Uh, you don't have to stress out about that anymore. You've, you've wondered about it all your life. Um, so if we've got to find purpose, and all purposes are equal, and all purposes begin with us and end with us, but if you take a much bigger view... At the end of things, if the materialist worldview, if the view that matter is all that matters, then nothing matters. Because even if you have solved a conundrum like cancer, you have made life better for the random products of impersonal choice that have no particular value because they are purely random occurrences. And at the end of the universe, when everything winds down to nothing, who cares? It doesn't matter what you've achieved 
because impersonal force cannot produce meaning. Impersonal force cannot produce meaning. We end up with Macbeth. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's a pretty bleak place, isn't it? If you follow that train of thought, and I'm happy for you to take me to task about this a little bit later, but if you follow that train of thought, you end up where Albert Camus ended up, saying that life is absurd. And he proposed you either got to live with this, which is what he did, or you've got to commit physical suicide or philosophical suicide. And he would look at us this morning, those of us here who are Christians, and say that we have just constructed a crutch to help us live with the absurdity of our life. But can we find a purpose that is more than that? He would say the same of anyone who claims a purpose in their life. Regardless of what that is, where you got it, he would say there is no meaning, there is no purpose. Is that where we have to end up? That our purposes are figments of our imagination. They're crutches that we use to make life just a little bit more tolerable. Can we have true purpose and real meaning? Now, C.S. Lewis, I think, gives us a great help to start to answer this. C.S. Lewis commenting about something else, about a, a desire for life beyond the grave. He quotes uh, in a little, or he writes in a, a little piece of work called The Weight of Glory. He says this that we remain conscious of a desire that no natural happiness will satisfy. We all want purpose. We want to have a life with meaning. But if we're just working in this world, we have to end up where Mr. Camille ended up. Absurd, meaningless. But Lewis says... Is there any reason to suppose that reality offers any satisfaction? He goes on and he says, A man's physical hunger doesn't prove that the man will get any bread. He may die on, on a raft in the Atlantic of starvation, but surely a man's hunger does prove that he comes of a race which prepares its body by eating and inhabits a world where eatable substances exist. He says, falling in love makes no sense in a world that did not have sex. The fact that we crave this, and this craving is not just a random craving, but it seems to be a universal craving. Lewis tells us, and I think very helpfully prompts us to see that there must be some fulfillment beyond this. And this is where I think biblical Christianity gives us amazingly powerful answers. So let's turn our attention there. Carolyn read uh, for us 
the uh, world's shortest uh, Bible reading. Actually, it wasn't. Uh, But one verse is up there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From the beginning of Scripture, the Bible wants to tell us, God wants us to know that life is not something that is the product of impersonal forces plus chance. That in the beginning, there was a purposeful beginning. That God created a personal force guided by love. And once you have a personal force, you have purpose. So someone walks into your garage and you're there tinkering away. The logical question, what are you making? You're not just randomly thinking, I'll just hit a nail into this and a screw into that and I'll cut this. Maybe you do actually, but um, most of us don't do that kind of thing. We make something with intention. So if you walked into my garage the last couple of weeks and you see I was building these frames and putting this mesh on it, you'd say, what are you making? I'm saying, I'm making a cage for stick insects. As a creator, I have a purpose that is then manifest in my creation. That is there. Personal force implies purpose. So why does God, in the beginning, create the heavens and the earth? Well, the Psalms tell us the skies, the heavens declare, what is it? The glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, that God's glory is seen in his creation. Now, you could say the same about my stick insect box, that my glory in all its limited form is seen in that. But as we looked this morning and we prayed before the service and we thanked God for the beautiful morning that we enjoyed, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And scriptures teach us that humanity particularly has a particular role to play. We are in the image of God and as such we reflect him. We reflect him in our being. We reflect him in our acting. The choices that we make, we reflect our creator. It's like the art reflects the artist. Or maybe going a bit further, the parents get the reflected glory from the achievements of the children. Yes? Of limit. Or the notoriety of the, uh, of the misdeeds of the parents, uh, of the children, anyway. But there is that element where we were designed to reflect in and of ourselves that people, that creation could look at humanity and say, I see a glimpse of what God is like. And so we were designed to find our purpose in relation to his purpose. He is the creator and we are the creation. But obviously, if you're aware of things and you're going out in this world like we, we all are, you'll actually see that this purpose has by and large been rejected. It's what the Bible talks about as sin. What the Bible talks about as sin is our rejection of God as God, asserting independence, claiming autonomy. And one consequence of our sin 
is that we seek to find purpose apart from that relationship with God. And so we look to smaller P purposes. We find it in the good things that he gives us or in the not so good things that we pursue. We get caught up in the creation, not in the creator. We get caught up in the gift, not in the giver. We stop short of the ultimate with the penultimate. And those things ultimately never satisfy. We might deny that relationship and so seek purpose elsewhere. But ultimately that purpose will never be fulfilled. It will only be very limited and it will end with us. But as sin is rejecting God, it's, it's like a child who divorces their parents. Now, your kids may have actually shouted at you in anger. I can't recall if mine have ever done this, but maybe they will. Maybe that time is coming. I don't want to be part of this family. You, maybe you said it to your, family, your, your, your parents. The fact is, you can deny relationship, but the reality remains that you are always part of that family and your parents are always your parents. You may deny God, but God is always God and God in his mercy refuses to accept our declaration of independence. Why? For our good as well as for his glory. Left to ourselves, we are left where Albert Camus is with the absurdity of life. And God knows, because he made us this way, that our purpose and meaning and value can only be lastingly and truly found in him. And so that is what we celebrated as we shared the Lord's Supper. That is what we celebrated at Easter with the death and resurrection of Jesus being at the centre of our celebrations. That is what the gospel, that proclamation of those historical facts of what happened that first Easter, that is what that's about. Declaring that God was not content to let the rebels die their meaningless death. One way the Bible speaks of what Jesus achieved on the cross is there in our second reading. Actually, to tell you the truth, it wasn't there in the second reading because I stopped it too early. But let me read it for you. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. See that word there, reconcile. We may deny relationship, but then God has done what is necessary to reconnect, to reestablish. And noticing that God wasn't reconciling himself to the world, but the world to himself. It's the world that has rejected him. But then he, he is the offended party, took the initiative to restore relationship and how does he do that he does that by not counting people's sin against it and that's not just that he just decides oh well don't bother about that doesn't matter two verses later god made him 
the Lord Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see there, Jesus gets our sin, and we get to be the testimony of God's righteousness. There's a song that we sing that speaks of the fact that Christ was cast off that we might draw near. He was, he was stripped naked so that we might be clothed. What we deserved, he got. What, we de- what he deserves, we get through faith in him. And so what we were left with, cut off from God, cut off from meaning, cut off from the source of life, Christ himself was cut off so that we might have that relationship restored. One purpose of that gospel is there in verse 15. That Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are reconnected with that purpose, that purpose that is actually outside of ourselves, that purpose that death cannot conquer because Christ has has been raised, that purpose that is not just some arbitrary thing that we decided that we wanted to do, but that purpose that ultimately God will judge. It says in verse 10 that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The idea of personal autonomy, where we create our own law and we stand or fall to ourself and ourself alone, is not a biblical idea. You will make your own choices for which you will be held accountable. And that is the dignity of the human being as God has made us. We're not puppets, but we're not God. And our purpose will be judged. And God's purpose, his glory will be achieved. At the end of the day, that's the incredible thing, that by What God has done, he invites you to be once again connected to his purpose in life. The purpose that will stand in eternity, big bang, end of universe, whatever, doesn't matter. Because in the beginning, God. And in the end, God. And in between, God. There is no purpose apart from him and so this morning what do you do if you're someone who's still exploring the christian faith if you've still got questions you'll notice that i've made some big jumps i didn't defend the fact that genesis 1 says that god created the heavens and the earth can i say that's a secondary issue Can I tell you the number one issue that you need to answer if you are still trying to work out what Christianity is about? Maybe also if you're a Christian here and you're trying to work out how to talk to your friends, your family, your neighbours, your work colleagues, the one thing 
you need to get them to engage with is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ rose from the dead, biblical Christianity is true. If Christ is dead in the ground, go and read French Algerian philosophers and wallow in the absurdity of life. But if Jesus Christ did rise, there is purpose, there is meaning, there is value in your life. Find the answer to that question. One way of doing it is grab a copy of The Essential Jesus. I put some back there this morning. It's Luke's Gospel. It's one of the four accounts of the Gospel, of the story of Jesus. Grab that. Get into it. Read it. But then also in May, we are looking into the life course. And that's an opportunity for you to bring friends and family, for you to come yourself uh, to explore in more depth This question and what implication the death and resurrection of Jesus has for your life. Because I can say that Christ died to give you a purpose, among other things, that is not arbitrary, that is not some random choice based on what you felt like this morning, but is something that will stand in eternity and something you were made to work for. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would be showing us the wonder of the purpose that we have, that in all of our life, in everything that we do, in our work, in our family, in our leisure, in every part of our life, we would see that how we can use that for your glory that we can reflect your purposes, that we can achieve your ends. And Father, we do ask, I pray particularly this morning, uh, for any who are still questioning what it is that you have done, what it is that means to follow Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be showing them more and more of your truth and convincing them of that, that they might know the purpose that you alone as their creator have set before them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.